Hello. Hope everybody enjoyed their spring break. We are starting a new series today. We're going to be going through the series called The Meaning Behind the Music. And what's really cool about this series is the speaker's actually going to sing their, their talk today. So I'm, I am going to sing. I, just kidding. I'm not going to sing. Um, I actually asked Tim, the, the worship leader, if I could sing today, and he told me no. So I'm not allowed to sing. Uh, but that actually does remind me of one of the first, actually, the first interaction I ever had with Siler. Okay, I'm being told that, okay, so um, we just mentioned uh, we had spring break, right? I just went to Florida, and I need to address this right now. Um, I got really bad sunburn. So um, if you can tell, I also have, I'm really insecure about this, so please, please, please don't make fun of me about this. I have a receding hairline, and you can tell where my, where my hair used to be, because I got burned where hair used to be. So um, don't look at me and laugh at me while I'm talking today, please. I'm insecure about it. I literally just did a talk with Compass, and they were, I, literally, I looked over, and I saw two eighth grade girls pointing at my head and laughing. So please don't, please don't, like, just don't. I, I'm bringing this up now. Get your laughs out now. I'm losing my hair. I'm very insecure about it. Please don't, please don't make fun of me about it. Thank you. Um, anyways, meaning behind the music. It reminds me of my first interaction I ever had with Siler. Uh, I, was a, in, I was a student over at Trinity, and I was looking for an internship. And lo and behold, I get an email from Siler. He sends out an email to all the MDiv students, all the students over at Trinity that want to become pastors. And he's like, hey, looking for an intern, somebody who is available on Sunday mornings, somebody who's looking to fulfill, like is getting their MDiv and is looking for an internship. I need someone like that. I need somebody who wants to work with students for SHIG. And I also need somebody who can lead worship and sing. Um, so I hit three of the four requirements. I have no musical ability in my, in my body. So like, I, I'm like, okay, I think, I can, I think I'm qualified for this, um, for, for this position, right? So I'm like deciding, like, I'm going to send Siler an email. And as I'm like going through class that day, I'm realizing, like, I want to become a pastor. If I want to become a pastor, I have to become an intern. So I have to send an email like this. Like, this is the beginning of my profession. Like, this is the beginning of my career, launching off from being a student into the professional world, right? So I send Siler this email. And this is my first step into, like, being an adult. And this is, this is what happens. Um, if you notice, I send an email at 758. It just says, hello, comma. So... My first attempt at being professional is a total whiff, right? So I accidentally send that, and I didn't know this, but Gmail, actually, if you send an email on accident, you have, like, 10 seconds to hit undo, and, it, and it'll, like, cut that off. I did, I did not know that, though. So I hit that, and I'm like, oh, my gosh, I'm, I totally I made a fool of myself. I am a fool. Like, I need to quit, Right. And so as you can tell, my next email comes about, you know, 12 minutes later. So I just like scramble and start typing everything that I can. Like, so if you guys ever send like an important email or an important text that you don't want to be sent until like you want it like read over and proofread, I'd recommend like drafting it or like putting it in a notes app or something so you can't accidentally send it like me. So I send this really embarrassing email. First I address it by going like, whoops, sorry for that blank email. Must have sent itself. No, I, I sent it. So I lie. Started with a lie. I add some personal things, so I kind of took that out. And then I end, I end by apologizing again for the initial blank email in case he missed it. 
Um, I also make it clear that I, I have no skills musically. Like, so like I've, I'm really like, I got the internship, which is great, but it really kind of started off, it started off pretty bumpy. So I, I love that story. Um, so those are my first interactions with Siler. Um, anyways, I'm bringing this up because today we're talking and introducing this new series called Meaning Behind the Music. And so pretty much every week for the next, you can take that down, that's embarrassing, you can, you can, you can take that off. Um, every week now for, for the next month or so, we're going to take, we're going to tackle a song that we cover here at Shig. And we're going we're gonna, to um, tell you like where this artist is getting the inspiration to write this song. Because most of the time, the songs that we sing here um, at Shig, they probably are centered and grounded and anchored in some sort of passage of scripture. Okay, and so our goal with this series is to help you understand the words that you are singing. Because here's the truth, we have a God that is worthy of our worship. That's literally the reason we were created, to bring glory to God because he rightfully deserves it. And I, I need to mention that worshiping isn't just music. Like, we can worship with our service to God. By living, we're called to be a living sacrifice, and that's a spiritual act of worship, right? So we're called to worship God in every area of our life. And Shig takes that really seriously, and, and the way we try and teach you that is by we have worship, right? Like, the first few, like few minutes, a big chunk of our time here at Shig is spent worshiping God. So we want to break down the words that we're singing so you can better understand it and better give glory to God. So let's do this really quickly. The last song we just sang, um, we used the word hallelujah. It's a, song, it's a word that comes up a lot in worship music. We've all heard it before. Does anyone know what that means? Good? No. Um, understand, understandably, you don't know what it means because it's, it's an ancient word. It literally means praise God. Give glory to God. But what's really cool about that word is that it, it, it's been being used ever since, like, like the history of time, pretty much. It, it's, it's a word that originated in the, in the old ancient Hebrew language. So those guys like Abraham and King David, they would literally say hallelujah. And because it has so much rich history, it, that word has survived, despite the fact that, like, Time has gone by and languages evolve, right? Some languages even die. We still take with us hallelujah. And so now whenever we say that word, we're using a word that literally like all of mankind has used to give glory to God. And that word literally means praise God, give him the glory. So my hope by telling you that is that whenever you, whenever you hear that word, you would understand that one, God deserves glory and you are praising him by saying that word. But two, you are identifying with the rest of the followers of God, not just of today, but of all of history. Because we all have been saying this word, which is really cool. So that's just like a, a microchasm what we're going to be doing in this series. And so today, I want to talk about the song Living Hope by Phil Wickham. Um, really great song. It's been, he wrote it like in like 2015 and it's become like an anthem for the church it's, it's, a lot of churches still use that worship song to this day, and we're actually going to have a chance to sing it tonight. So we're, after I'm done, we're gonna, the band's going to come up one more time and sing this song. But before we do that, I want to teach you about what it means. And so because this song got a lot of attention, it, it went viral when it came out, and it's still popular to this day, people ask them, like, Phil, like, what is your inspiration? Why did you write this song? And he pretty much said, First Peter, I read through First Peter, and I wanted, I, I, that was what motivated me to write this song. Now, First Peter 
is written by Peter, the guy who followed around Jesus, one of his closest disciples, right? There was 12 disciples of Jesus, but then there was like an inner three people that, that like Jesus, like every story that included a disciple probably included at least one of those three, and Peter was one of those guys. And then he goes on to be the leader of the church, and he writes this letter. And to start his letter, he starts talking about this living hope. Like literally right away, like he like the first two verses of, the, of this letter is like writing to his audience, like addressing them, and then he gets right into the message. So today we're going to look at what I believe is the, the passage that inspired Phil Wickham to write the song Living Hope. And you're going to see why, because he liter- Peter literally uses the word living hope in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 3. I'm going to read verses 3 through 7. It says this, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade. This inheritance is kept in heaven for you, who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. In all this, you greatly rejoice. Though now, for a little, while you may have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials, these have come so that, so that the proven genuineness of your faith, of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire, may result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. Read a big chunk there for you. I'm going to break this down because I believe this is what Phil Wickham really was looking at as he wrote this really popular song. Living hope. And I have three points to kind of break down what I just read, all kind of explaining what living hope is. So the first point is gonna is gonna tell us why we have living hope. The second point is going to tell us what this living hope is, and the third point is gonna tell us how we are supposed to use this living hope moving forward. Okay, so, so point number one, and I'm mainly getting this from verse three, is we have a living hope because of Christ's resurrection. Now What I mean by that is the gospel presents to us a living hope. And Phil Wickham sees this and recognizes this because like a lot, a big chunk of his song is pretty much just simply recounting the what is going on with the gospel and and why it's something that is so valuable. So let's just read a couple of the verses that that he has to write. First one, it says this in the song, Living Hope. How great the chasm that lay between us. How high the mountain I could not climb. In desperation I turned to heaven and spoke your name into the night. Then through the darkness your loving kindness tore through the shadows of my soul. The work is finished, the end is written, Jesus Christ, my living hope. Do we recognize this song now? We've sung this song a good amount. Right here, Phil Wickham is writing about our need for a savior. When he talks about how great this chasm that lays between us, pretty much what he is saying here is there's a sin, there, there's, a, there's a chasm that separates us from God. And it, this chasm was created by sin. Let's, let's just give you like a quick Old Testament history, right? In the Garden of Eden, right? In the beginning of time, there was Adam and Eve, and they lived in this garden in this perfect world that didn't have sin in it, right? And then sin enters the world once they eat of the forbidden tree, Right? Once that happens, they get kicked out of Eden. And this chasm is created. And the effects of sin include evil in this world and and death and sickness and more. All this happens because of this sin. And this chasm becomes wider and wider. 
We're on one side, God's on the other. There's no way for us to get back to God. There's no way, way for us to have that same fellowship and community that we once had in the Garden of Eden, all because of sin. And so when Phil Wickham is talking about this great chasm that lays between us and this mountain that we cannot climb, he's recounting the beginnings of the gospel, right? It starts with the fact that we are all guilty of sin, and because of that sin, we are separated from God, right? But this, 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 this verse ends with, with God recognizes, rec- recognizes this and knows that there's no way for us, there's no bridge that we can build to get to this chasm. There's nothing that man can do to, to retrieve that relationship with God, right? There's no good deed that we can perform. There's no prayers that we can say. Like, there's nothing, there's no grades that we can get that will get us back onto the side with God. There is a need for divine intervention. There is a need for a savior, and Phil Wickham is setting that up with that first verse. Then he goes on to say this, the next verse. Who could imagine so great a mercy? What heart could fathom such boundless grace? The God of ages stepped down from glory to wear my sin and bear my shame. The cross has spoken, I am forgiven. The King of kings calls me his own. Beautiful Savior, I'm yours forever. Jesus Christ, my living hope. Right. So now he's established that there is this chasm. Right. Sin has separated us. And now we see what God has done, right? The God of ages steps down from glory. He's talking about what we celebrate on Christmas, right? The incarnation, right? God lived in heaven, right? And then he was sent to be a man. He humbled himself to the point of being a man, to the point of having flesh and bones. The same person who created the universe humbles himself down to the point of being a man, all so that he can get nailed to a cross and die for every one of us, also that he could become sin and pay the price that we would pay with our lives, also that we can be known by him and be forgiven. Right. So, so this is what Phil Wickham is setting up, and this is what Peter is talking about in the verses that I read. Right, Because of the gospel, because of Jesus' work on the cross and his resurrection, right? because he was able to defeat death, we now have this living hope. We just entered into Holy Week, right? If you guys came to church, it was Palm Sunday, so we celebrated Jesus' triumphant entry into Jerusalem, right? And so we know that on Friday is, it's Good Friday, so we celebrate the death of Jesus. Fun fact, totally unrelated, Friday is my birthday, so we don't need to celebrate my birthday because we'll, we'll celebrate Jesus' death. But if you guys want to give me a gift, just give it to me later. I, t- I accept late gifts, that's totally fine. Um, but, but we are recognizing Jesus' work on the cross on Friday, right? His death. And then Easter, like the Super Bowl of our faith, the pinnacle of our faith, we celebrate the resurrection of Jesus. And Peter is telling us here, that is the source of our living hope. See, Jesus dies, but then three days later, he proves that he is God when he resurrects, when he raises from the dead. He proves that he has power over sin and death when he has victory over it by rising again. Right? And so that's what the first verse in 1 Peter tells us, 1 Peter 1.3, that, that we have this living hope because of the resurrection of Jesus. And then the rest of the text goes on to talk about what this living hope does for us. But in order for us to really like, buy in and, and experience this living hope, we need to understand and, and recognize that first part of the song. We need to recognize that we are in need of a Savior. Here's the truth. Jesus died on the cross for everybody, right? He died on the cross for everybody. He gave that gift to everybody, but not everybody 
receives it. Every single one of us, all we have to do in the process, right, to, to, to get on the other side of the chasm, right, to, to be known by God, to live an abundant life, to go to heaven, right, all we have to do is recognize that we are in need of a Savior, that we need Jesus' death on the cross. And then we get to experience what abundant life is. We get to experience this living hope. But we have to accept that gift. It, uh, it kind of reminds me, I, I thought of this, I, we, we drove home from Florida yesterday, and I, and I thought of this in the car, and Jess told me, she's like, this, is too, like, this, this illustration is too youth pastory. And I'm like, well, I'm, I'm a youth pastor, so I'm going to use it right now. So we just bought something for a friend, and she wanted to pay us back. So she gave Jess money on Apple Pay. But the thing is, Jess doesn't have Apple Pay. She, she was able to get this, like, she received $10 from her friend. But she doesn't have her bank account set up, right? Like, she was unable to access that money, to receive that money, even though it was given to her. In the same way, we were given grace and this abundant life. But we have to accept it. And that's all we have to do. Consider it like this, too. Like, Christmas morning, you have a gift under a Christmas tree, Right? All you have to do to receive that gift is take it and open it up and enjoy it, right? That's, in the same way, that's that's what we're called to do. Like, that's our role in salvation. That's how we get to the other side. We recognize the gift that Jesus has given us. We recognize our need, and we accept it, and then we live it, and we get to experience this living hope. So we have this living hope because of Christ's work on the cross. And that's what verse 3 tells us. And then moving forward to verse 4, we find out what this living hope is and what it's all about. And so verse 4 tells us, it's talking about this living hope, and it says, this is an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade. This inheritance is kept in heaven for you. And so our living hope is something that will not die out. Our living hope is something that will not fail us. Right? It shows us that our living hope is something that will literally never fail us. So there's, there's, there's things that, there's one thing that's a living hope, and that's God's work on the cross for us. And then there's tons of things that I like to call dead hope, right? If it's not alive, it's dead. And what I mean by that is, like, pretty much anything else that we put our hope in in our lives, right? Like, like getting good grades, or, or having a lot of money in our bank account, or having this amount of followers and this amount of likes on our Instagram posts, or, or having these relationships, right? All of those things aren't inherently evil, right? Like, th- those are all good things to some extent. But they don't truly give us life, and they will fail you it, to some extent. Meanwhile, we have the living hope that Jesus gave us on the cross, right? And that's something that will not fail us. And that's what verse 4 is telling us, right? It's indestructible. Once we receive it, we can't lose it. It's eternal. We can take it with us once we die, right? These are all important things. We will never lose this living hope. It will never fail us. Just the other week, we were, going, we were finishing up the Obstacles to Faith series. If you guys remember, I spoke and talked about trials. And the hardest portion of my life happened in a, in, a, in a quick span of a couple of months where I was putting all of my hope in relationships. And just like that, all of my important relationships failed me to some extent. My parents, they, they got a divorce, right? And I, I put, a lot of, put a lot of eggs in my basket, like 
identifying myself as, as one that comes from like a functional family, right? And then my parents get well, get a divorce. And I was from this church that where these elders and these leaders were like my, my family, my uncles and aunts. And, and they kind of started treating me differently. And all of a sudden, these people failed me one after the other, right? Like, it was all good that I would look up to them. I'm not telling you to not put, put your hope in your parents, but I want you to understand that we are all broken and fallen, and those things will fail us to some extent. Meanwhile, what Peter is telling us in these verses is that Jesus doesn't fail us. And Jesus actually has proven that he has power in the sin, over the sin in this world. So we have to understand that our living hope is something that won't fail us. And meanwhile, there are tons of things in this world that we can put our hope in that will lead to death, that will not give us life. And then f- I want to close with, with this point. Um, verses 5 through 7, they show us that living hope, living hope gives us something to look forward to. So I, I grew up a Christian my entire life, right? Like, I knew what the gospel was. I could tell you that Jesus died and rose again three days at a pretty young age, and I believed it and I subscribed to it. I didn't understand this point, and this is something that is absolutely essential to understand when following Jesus. When we put our faith in Jesus, we receive this living hope, and that is our solution to the world. It literally gives us hope in a fallen world. We live in a very polarizing time, right? People don't agree on much. But one thing that we could probably all agree with is that there's too much evil in the world, right? There's too much death. Sickness is hard, right? Wars are terrible. Pretty much everyone can agree with those statements. And Jesus promises a solution to all of those things. He's proven that he can have victory over it, right, by, by rising again. That's why the resurrection is so powerful. But what happens after he rises? Right? He, he, he's on the earth for 40 days, and then he ascends into heaven. And he promises, though, that he's going to come back. And we know that when he comes back, he's going to put sin in its rightful place. There will no longer be sin. There will, be, there will no longer be death or sickness or evil. This, all this stuff that seems to have a stronghold on our lives will no longer have a strong, like it'll be, it'll be gone. It'll be erased because of the work that Jesus is yet to perform. And once I realized that, I, I, I started to like, this, this, this message of hope is something that I, I can't help but share. Because all of a sudden in my life, when, when things fell apart and I, it seemed like I didn't have hope, I, I was brought back to Jesus. And I read passages like these where I re- was reminded that we receive this living hope that can't fail us, that's everlasting, and that has power over, over all the strong things in this world. Verse 6 tells us that in all of this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while, while you may have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials, right? Like, Peter recognizes, and and a lot of this letter, what he's writing, he's writing to Christians who are getting persecuted for for their faith. Like, there is going to be hard times in this world. Maybe some of you guys are going through hard times. I recognize and understand that. But the reason why Peter is writing this is so that we wouldn't be overwhelmed with grief in this world and instead put our eyes up to heaven and be reminded that we have a living hope that does not fail us. This actually reminds me of a time where I used to be a nanny. About four or five years ago, I used to nanny this kid named Kai. He was about three years old. There's a picture of me and Kai. I'm the one with the beard. Kai doesn't have a beard. He's, Kai's, the, Kai's the little one. Um, Kai 
was three years old when I used to nanny him. I would nanny him like once a week for like six or seven hours. His parents had to go to work. My job, my job with Kai when I was with him was to give him everything that he needs and to give him, like, let him enjoy himself, right? Give him a fun, good time. Those were literally my only jobs. I'm a fun guy, and although I'm not the best with kids, like, I know that they need to eat. I know that they need to go to, go to the bathroom a certain amount of times. Like, I understand that, so I, I can handle it for six to seven hours. I was fully equipped to handle this job. Me and Kai had a lot of fun together, but a lot of the times, as soon as his parents would leave, sometimes immediately as his parents were leaving or just like an hour or two into us hanging out, he would start to miss his parents. And he'd start crying and just belly aching over the fact that his parents are gone. And he'd ask me, like, what time are they coming back? And you can't, it's kind of hard to explain time to a three-year-old. They don't, they don't quite understand it. Like, I started putting a, cl- like a watch on him and saying, like, when this arm and this arm are like this, that's when your parents are going to come back. He didn't fully understand time, right? So he was going through it, right? Like, he really missed his great parents. He had a lot of reasons to be distraught. But he fully missed out on the fact that I was there to have a blast with him and to do what he wants to do, right, and to give him a good time. And I was going to give him all the things that he needs. Okay, Luke, why are you talking about this three-year-old? Like, this is kind of weird. You used to be a nanny. Cool. The reason I'm talking about this is we, too, can tend to be like Kai in this world. We have been given the message of, of the gospel. We have received this living hope. We know that Jesus will come back and erase all this evil in this world. But yet there are times where we get so caught up in what's going on in our lives, in our broken relationships, in our grades, in, in where we're going to go to school, or, or in, in sickness in this world, or in, in, in hardship, right? And we, we really allow that to overwhelm us and take control of us. Like Kai, belly aching and crying and missing out on the joy of having me with him to, to give him a good time. Peter is writing this and reminding us of what living hope does in our lives because he doesn't want us to miss the abundant life that comes with the living hope. He doesn't want us to forget the fact that God loved us so much that he sent his son down to die for us. And God loved us so much that he hatched a plan to handle all the hardship in this world. And that's one of the best parts of the gospel is that we have a solution to all the evil in this world, and it comes in the form of Jesus Christ and the living hope that he has to offer. So the band's going to come up here, and we're going to sing this song. But before we do that, and as they're, you guys can come up now, but as they're coming up, I want to I point our attention to how this passage begins and how it ends. Right? This passage is all about the living hope that we've just explained. And right away, Peter is saying, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. And then this verse, or these, these, verse 7, the end of this passage ends with, may this result in praise and glory and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. Peter is giving us how we should respond to this living hope. And that response is through worship. Like I said in the beginning, we are called, we were born and created to give glory to God. And our response to the power of this living hope, to the power of the gospel, should be praise and worship. Because God died for us, because we have this relationship with him that will not fail us and will not die out, that we can't lose, because we ultimately have something to look forward to and we have a solution to all this evil in the world. 
So we're going to sing this song. I pray that we can understand the words.